0: really good to be together um, yeah I just sharing a little bit of my heart today it's an area that I'm super passionate about so I hope I'm not going to keep you for way too long um, and as I was typing up this it's just like pages and pages and I'm going to think oh dear this is going to be too long but I think we'll be okay but should we pray Father so be God thank you for this time as we dig into your word As we read your word, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will will reveal to us truth about who you are, truth about who we are in relation to you, Lord God, and the plans and the purposes that you have for us, so that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the last couple of weeks during our time together as a church, fasting and praying for what God is wanting to do in and through us Adventure Church. A couple of areas were highlighted to us as a church. Um, Sharon brought up and it was re-emphasized this urgency of going and responding to this mission that God has called us to. The people that are waiting on the other side of our obedience. How he has entrusted us with people who he loves and has called. And how he wants to recalibrate us so that we are aligned to his plans and purposes. And how he wants to take us on an adventure to become more and more like him, to become imitators of who he is. An ongoing theme that resonated throughout not only the last two weeks, but many words relating to Adventure Church has been about identity and how God wants to lead us into an authentic, God-revealed revelation of who we are and of who he is. So today I want to touch on this topic of identity and begin to explore what both the word says and what the world says. So we live in a world in search of identity. I went and looked on Google um, and I said well what are the top thousand googled questions and I couldn't get through the thousand but I looked at the top 100 at least and you know what stood out. Outside of questions which were actually the most popular like what is the time how many ounces are in a gram, the ones we will all sometime put into Google, there were a few standouts in the top 100. Three key, more personal themes came out for me. Questions about intimacy, questions about self-image, and gaining that more attractive figure that I dream of, and the question, what is the meaning of life? Those are three parts that came up within this top 100, which was interesting. So out of millions of Google questions that could be asked, it was interesting to see that themes that emerged after a quick skim were about intimacy relationships and my perception of myself and others' perception of me and what that means. What's the meaning behind all of this? So if I ask you now, who are you, how would you respond, Honestly. If you ask somebody else, perhaps, who you've never met, what would they say? So let's just go back to the basics here. If we're sitting at a bar and you strike up conversation with a complete stranger. You know, you start trying to just ask some questions to get to know who each other is. And some of the questions are like obvious ones, like what's your name, one step further, where are you from, where do you live, where did you live before this, and you go down that, once you've obviously spoken about the big one, like how's this weather, and you start talking about that. But then it gets to the other one that gets a bit awkward. It's just like, so what do you do? Like that always comes up, right? And you start having to try and show like where you live is part of kind of this who you are that you're sharing and what do I do? And you're trying to navigate like, okay, well, what is that, you know, is it my work? What are the other things I do? And present yourself in a way that you create a picture for these people of a sense of who you are, right? So often the starting points related to letting others know who we are relate to place, relate to position, so that you can start to manage people's perceptions about you. What do the most successful people say about discovering who you are or your true self? So I went and did a bit of research again and there were some interesting tips. Some of them like, that's helpful and some of them like, I don't know if that's helpful, but one of the tips was be quiet. You can't discover yourself unless you be still. Okay realize who you truly are not who you want to be that was okay find out what you're good at and what you're not good at and that was an interesting one because often it's what are your strengths and that starts to finding a sense of who you are and, and and your place in this world assess your relationships and ask people for feedback so all of these have merit but so many people exhaust these options and still find themselves lacking and searching for who they truly are still searching for their identity, the meaning of life, and their purpose. Now for me, and I don't know about you, I've been on this journey of figuring out who I am since I was probably 10, 12, 13. Um, And it's been an ongoing journey. And sometimes people ask me that now, and I'm still in pursuit of that journey. I remember it was about 10 years ago, I asked my dad that question. And it was the first time, about 10 years ago, where he actually was sitting contemplating this question of who am I and what is my purpose and what is my passion. So no matter how old you are, I think it's a question that resonates I'd be trying to search and find answers for. Modern day psychology was founded on this very premise, the psychology of self and others, which is made up of four things, self-concept, self-knowledge, self-esteem and social self. And yes, self (laughs) is at the center of each and every one of those as we're searching for our identity. And it plays out subtly, but evidently through the current age that we live in. We live in an age of selfies. I think I look back and the first selfie was taken. It was actually quite, it was like 1994 or something like that when they took the first one. Um, And it's a fad that definitely hasn't died away just yet. So according to the New Yorker, They actually talk about the self-esteem movement and they say that the self-esteem movement brought on by psychology and this finding of self led to the obsession with selfies and with self that we have today. The idea was to free ourselves from all kinds of social problems by believing that we were special and amazing and putting ourselves at the center of everything. So we live in an age and as you look around where the self is at the center of everything as an outworking of this pursuit of the answer to this Who Am I? All these questions have been asked and the answers have been searched for hundreds and hundreds of years. Going back over two and a half thousand years ago, these questions were asked. There are some classic quotes as this search for meaning of life and who we are began to emerge. So you may have heard of this quote, I think, therefore... I am, by Descartes, and interestingly enough, if you love mathematics and you ever did Cartesian plane, same dude, you know, who did the math stuff that we worked with, but anyway, he was actually quite a philosopher. Socrates, in about 400 BC in Greece said, the unexamined life is not worth living, and there started being this movement of saying, how do we actually look inside of ourselves to discover who we are? Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Now that's interesting, you know, in the fact that so long ago people were trying to group together this mystery of who we are. Plato, around the same time, said that the true self of human beings is the reason or the intellect that constitutes their soul and that is separable from their body. So he's already saying that there's something about who we are that isn't connected to this physical form. There's something about who we are that goes beyond that. And these people, the Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato, lived around the same time. They were probably getting together, I would imagine, you know, around the campfire and saying, like, what's this question? And, and, and trying to work with it. But they started setting into motion uh, a way of thinking and a way of searching that hasn't stopped yet. And is still carrying on. So all of this thinking that planted the seeds for modern day psychology emerged with these philosophers in ancient Greece about 400 years before Christ. And this was the dawn of a new way of thinking of enlightenment about who you are, about our identity, and about the deeper meaning of life. But that's what the world says. <laughs> what does the word say? Uh, and interestingly, it says a whole lot about who we are and about who God is. But for today, I want to go through one specific portion of scripture and draw out what we can learn about who we are and our identity from this. As a caveat, there's so much in here. I think we could preach about it for a year. (laughs) But let's go one step at a time and dig into one portion of scripture. So if you can turn with me to Acts chapter 17. I'll give you a moment if you've got your Bibles, just to draw there because it's quite a lengthy portion of scripture that we're reading through. So just to lay the context, it's chapter 17 and I'm going to start reading from verse 16. But to lay the context, Paul is out and he's busy preaching and teaching in Jewish synagogues in Greece. And he's at these different places where he's going from one synagogue to the next synagogue and he's mostly doing all of his outreaching to the Jews in the synagogues. And then he takes this moment when he's busy waiting for Silas and Timothy to return and he's sitting in Athens in a normal city and something doesn't sit well with him. He looks around him outside of his synagogues and he sees idols everywhere. And he says he gets so frustrated with these idols, he gets moved to start saying something and ending up in conversation with people who aren't in the synagogue, with just the common folk in the street. So, it's a little bit of the context, but we read from verse 16, and we're reading a chunky piece right up until verse 34, and then we can dig a bit deeper. So, verse 16 says While Paul was waiting for them, Timothy and Silas, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, for those who happen to be there. If you happen to be there, Paul was going to be on your case. <laughs> like, okay, let's talk. Then a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. L- big words there, Epicurean and Stoic. Ultimately, this group was linked to the philosophers of four, 500 years before that I just quoted. So the group where this thinking has gone down the generations about this question of who am I, meaning of life, and deep philosophical issues. So Paul ends up with this group. <laughs> so the group of these philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say, talking <laughs> to Paul? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Now obviously from their point, you know, their foreign gods or their gods and the truth that Paul's talking about of foreign gods to them. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Aeropagus. I just want to stop there. So Aeropagus was a group that Aristotle himself was a part of 400 years before, when all of this started. It was a group of the most front forerunning thinkers of the time who would be thinking and talking about the latest ideas of who we are and the meaning of life and what that means for society. He brings Paul, who's talking about Jesus and his resurrection, to this group and he brought them to a place which is also linked to years and years of people meeting in this place. It's actually called Marziel where he now, they're asking Paul, tell us, about what you're saying. So they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing (laughs) but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So Paul tell me about this latest idea. We want to weigh this up. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, gives, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Everything comes from God. And he's talking about the true living God. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, and others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Mixed response. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is a big part of scripture, and I'm going to pull out some key things that stand up within this as we try and answer, well, what does the word say? about who we are and what does this text say specifically with the context that it's placed in. So personally, this is one of the favorite preachers or teachers that I see coming up in the Bible. I love this portion where Paul's just sitting there in the city and suddenly starts talking to this group of philosophers and group of thinkers at the time. So let's lean in and see what we can draw from this to better understand who we are or our true self. Again, the significance of this text is important to grasp. Yairus Paul, preaching to the very group of thinkers where Aristotle sat many years before, they had a few hundred years to build on to that thinking and find their own answers to who they are and their identity. So let's put it in today's terms, similar to psychology and self-actualization, I mentioned that self-esteem, self-concept, those were all terms that started becoming popular 50 to 100 years ago. And today we live, a little bit later, seeing the outworkings of culture being linked to thoughts and ideology that was brought up a little while ago, a couple of decades ago, in our own culture. So in Paul's time, particularly with those thinking coming up 400 years before and those conversations to be playing out, Paul starts seeing some of that culture playing out. And he was seeing it up front with idols. And people trying to now find worth, find position, find the meaning of who we are in these idols. This distressed Paul, idols in the city, possible outworking of this thinking was evident and it distressed him. The city was full of them. Today, how often do we place our worth on things in life? They can be very much modern day idols. Money, you know, and I've done it before, I'm saying, I've gone down this journey, placing my identity, placing who I am in how much money I might have. A different looking idol, possibly still an idol. Status, affirmation from others, material things that I might want to have, stuff, power, achievement, I remember when I used to work in scholarship days and we provided scholarships for kids. They were the smartest kids going into the scholarship in first year university. But their whole identity revolved around getting A's and being on the best sport team and being picked as the best. And while no, know it's a good thing and they've done exceptionally well, I remember walking journeys with many of them that the first time that they failed they literally melted down. They did not know how to cope with life anymore because who they were who was built on something else, something that is fragile, something that can break, something that does not last. And that's just another example. And my question is, what idols are sitting in our lives and in the lives of the people around us that we're leveraging and holding on to for a sense of who we are? And sometimes one of those idols is ourselves that we're putting out there and holding on to. Interestingly, and a bit of a side note, I'm not going to digress for too long, this is just interesting, that the selfie concept wasn't foreign at this time to the Greeks. Yes, they didn't have cell phones and they didn't have all of that, but if I mention the word narcissist, does everybody know what that kind of means? So just in terms of narcissist, that somebody, or narcissism, It's defined as an extreme self-involvement to the degree that it makes a person ignore the needs of those around them. And this word narcissist actually got coined or came out at this time. And it was actually a philosopher called Ovid and he was writing poetry and I won't go into the story but the story is of of a Greek mythological god called Narcissus who ended up looking into the water and he ended up falling so in love with himself that he couldn't do anything else and he ended up dying. And this again is the thinking at the time. This would have been new thinking to the people that Paul met with to say, actually, I think I'm at the center of this now, you know, and these gods are all serving me. Something was shifting at this time, just to re-emphasize the context of which Paul's speaking, how it isn't too different to where we are now. So Jean-Baptiste Alphonse Cara, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, a couple of years ago, he actually coined a quote, and I love it. It says, the more things change, the more they remain the same. So in this context, I believe that not much has changed. And the solution is still the same as Paul's busy positioning it for us, for them back then and for us today. But let's get back to the text. So a few more insights from the context. Paul Yeah gives a real action shot of where he said, to the Greeks I become Greek, to the Jews I become a Jew. He says this in 1 Corinthians. And in this context, he was with the Jews in synagogues, and now he was with the Greeks. So to position and to be relevant to them, he actually tried to speak their language, these philosophers' language, to be able to preach the gospel. He really met them where they were at, and even used their very own thinking to reveal the truth. The crux of his preach revolved around their own poetry. It was a poem written to Zeus, the god back then, uh, where in poetry they were trying to place their identity in a false god and Paul was using this very own thinking and culture to reveal God's truth. Again, how often are we without possibly realizing it, searching for who we are, not just in the wrong places, but in places that are in the complete opposite direction of what God wants to show us. With this context in mind, there's kind of four key areas that I want to just highlight in the text that hopefully we can get a revelation of who we are. So number one, if we want to know who we are, we have the perfect source to discover this. Not money, not fame, not relationship, not people's perceptions of us, not our being quiet and hearing who we are, not our strengths and weaknesses, but the very creator of heaven and earth who created us. So in verse 24, the text, Paul goes into this depth thing saying, No, no, actually, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Everything you have comes from God. So he focuses in on this picture of a living God who has relationship with you, who created with you, you, and who actually set out the places in which you should stay and live the boundaries of your land. But why? So that you may seek him, so that you may search him, that you may run after him and find him because he's not very far from any of us. So Paul's saying, Stop running after these other things. God's created you with a purpose not to run after who you are, but to run after him, to search him because he's right here and he wants to show you things about himself. So straight away he's correcting where they are. So step one is that God wants us to seek him first and foremost. He wants us to search and seek after who he is as our first step. Secondly, and from the same scripture, it says that he marked out the appointed times and histories and boundaries of their lands so that we may seek him. So even when our answer and connection of who we are, of, of where we want to live and what that means for us, that means nothing as where we live is determined by God and is for God that we seek him. So I'm saying this particularly because remember the briar conversation. It's like, yeah, my name is, where do you live? Okay, I live in and for me personally, it's a funny story because you know, now I live in Belito. And, but where did you live before that? And it keeps going back and back and back and then it goes to, starts going to Jo'burg and then it starts going to the East Rand and then it starts go, going to places that, you know, you don't really want to shout it from the mountains that I lived there for most of my life, you know, because, you know, some particular places there's websites of jokes about this place where I live, you know. Um, but these these places, it isn't to try and make yourself feel good. No, actually, I live in north of Salt Rock, you know um, Yes, you know so it's not about that. it's about God's actually set aside these boundaries and these places for you to live. It's not about you saying where you live to try and glorify yourself. it's about knowing that God's put you there so that you may seek him, that you may search for him because he's close by and He wants you to find him. Thirdly, and this is the big one, is that we find who we are in Jesus. So verse 28, and the key part of the scripture says, For in him in Christ, we live. In him we move, and in him we have our being. Interesting part that stands out initially for me is it doesn't say in him I live. It doesn't say in him I move and I in him I have. It's not an I thing actually switching it to say in him we so the first part of it then who i am is to know it's not about who i am it's about who we are it's about us declaring as jesus gave us the pattern of prayer our father and saying that god will reveal a sense of who we we are but he's going to give us a sense of who we are as his children as his church and in that we start understanding more about our role within that so Just to touch on it, that it's all about we and not about I. Secondly, there's three standards there. Live, move, and have our being all in him. So live, I won't even try and pronounce the Greek, but it really means the ultimate fullness of life. And remember that this, for in him we live and move and have our being, was written by those philosophers to a false god. And Paul's saying, you've got it all wrong. Actually, it's all about Jesus, and it's in Christ. So this can't be found in anything, this level of living, except in Him. So a couple of scriptures that use this exact live word. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So there's something of living through the power and the fullness of God that happens in Him that He wants to draw us to. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. There's something of, an, of, of a life that is worth living, that is far greater than the life that we're trying to fulfill and search for in things outside of Him. Romans 14.8 says, If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. This reminds me of Paul's statement in Philippians where he said, For me to live is Christ." For me to die is gain because he ends up with Christ anyway. It's all about Jesus. This living, this life that is so incredible. And we're all trying to create this Instagram, Facebook, social image of a perfect life, and God's got so much more for us of real true life. That's so in him we live, It's fullness. In him we move. This word kinometha, hopefully I, I got that right. It doesn't just mean move. It means in him we are consistently moving. It's a continuous moving. And I believe there's something stronger that God wants to reveal to us is that it's not just about in him we'll figure out what we want to do and, and in him we know that kind of what the next step is. Now God's got a journey. He's got an adventure. He's got a purpose for us. His church is moving and in him, Part of our identity is an identity that moves, that is constantly changing, that's constantly moving forward into a bigger realization of who we are. It's not a standing still identity. So identity in Christ is wrapped up in moving. It's a verb. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want to read that part again, that we are being transformed into His image. Again, such a counter way of saying something. We so focus on our image and figuring out who we are. And God says, no, it's not about who you are. I'm going to transform you into me. I'm going to transform you into my image. Unlike psychology, which focuses on our self-image, God teaches us not about our image, but to become more like Him. And the last part, so in Him we live, in Him we move and are moving. And in Him we have our being. I love the, the direct Greek translation at the time that Paul would have said. If you look at the Greek word, it's esmen. And it's been translated as in Him we have our being, but actually what it is is in Him we are. In Him we live, in Him we are moving, and in Him we are. It's almost like if it was me saying it, I'd be saying in Him I am. (laughs) In Him we are. We are what? In Him we are. That is who we are. You know, you can't separate the fact of who we are from Christ. That's where we find the answer to the question. In Him, we are. So just briefly, what does it mean to be in Him? And that's the last part, just to walk away with. What does that practically mean? So I've got a couple of scriptures that talk about this, but one that that's quite helpful, and I must pull out exactly what it is. I think it's Romans, I've got the verse 6. But it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin and grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we now also live with him. Other parts, and it's again in scripture, if you look through it, it's all over scripture. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23 says, In Christ, having been forgiven due to Christ's sacrifice, we have eternal life, despite deserving death for our sins. Romans 8.1 says, In Christ, and because of Christ, we are no longer condemned, but made righteous. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, In Christ, having been forgiven due to Christ's sacrifice, we stand before God righteous, holy, and redeemed. It's this picture of being In Him because of what He has done for us. And not being able to live outside of that. Psalm 16 says, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I think as we look at this in Christ, we need to realize that it means kind of the opposite if we're outside of Him. So in Him we live, in Him we move, in Him we are. Well, outside of Him, we die. Outside of him, we do not move forward or progress at all. And outside of him, we are nothing. We miss the boat entirely outside of him. In fact, there probably isn't even a boat. We're sitting there drowning outside of who he is. It's, it's only in him. Then as some of your poets have said, the last part of that text says, we are his offspring. Now remember, this was written at the time again by a poet who was writing to a false god, to an idol, and Paul brought truth that we are his offspring, talking about the living God. Romans 8 says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. In Ephesians 1, and this opens up a whole new bit of study but I'll just leave the one scripture it says blessed be from verse 3 it says blessed be God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. I'm going to stop there, as Ephesians offers a whole new series. (laughs) I'll just carry on. But in closing, Paul brought brought truth to these well-learned people, the leading thinkers of the time, uh, who were searching for who they are. And I believe today, God wants to bring truth us, And sometimes the idols of today might not look like idols, but deep down inside, who are we basing our value on? Who are we finding kind of who we are linked to? You know, what are those thoughts going on when we look inside a mirror when we, when we try and answer this question of who we are? And is it based on truth? Or is it based on something else that's fleeting and something else that can be shaken? beauty of this thing is that in the Bible, we have a poem too, written by the creator of the universe. So in this time, the Greeks were writing this poem to a false god, trying to figure things out, but we have a poem written by God <laughs> for us. How mind-blowing is that? In Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that workership is the Greek word poema, of which poem comes from. So we are God's poem. Created in Christ for good works, which he's prepared for us, that we should walk for them. So let our question not be, who are you or whose are you? Uh, who are you, but rather be whose are you. Let it not be who am I, but rather who are we and who is I am, who is God as we search for him because he isn't far. And the answer is easy. It starts with in Christ. Um, Just in closing, just a quick story, a really quick one. But I, I last shared a message on this specific scripture when I was 19 years old at a church in Toti to a whole bunch of kids and at the time I shared a testimony and in hindsight the testimony was all wrong. <laughs> now I'll quickly explain it but I look at it now and I think actually it was all right. So back then I just finished three months of university. I was in this, you know, at 18, 19, you're kind of just really figuring out who you are, Right. I'd finished 6 months of well 3 4 months of a scholarship fully paid for I was got to a spot of probably the lowest depression in my life because it wasn't what I wanted to do it was just my only ticket to be at university and and I got to a point where I just said actually god I have to quit this this isn't where the future is and I quit it knowing that I would be in debt and have to pay this debt of back then, which was about 25,000 rand. And I was just thinking, okay, well, 10 rand an hour, this little job that I've got multiplied by, okay, let's do this. Thank you, Lord. And I was trying to figure it out. And just before I preached, particularly on this, my parents said to me, I said, like, I'm, I'm wanting to pay this back. How am I going to do it? Because I felt God just saying, there's a different future for you. And they said to me that, The debt's debts disappeared. It's been cleared. There's something with contracts, etc., etc., and you don't oversent. And I preach this as a testimony of saying, actually, this is a picture of a father who clears all of our debt, who clears all of our past, who clears everything that feels like it's going to hold us because he wants us to follow on after him without the burdens of the past, without the weightiness of the past, And it was incredible. It was a testimony I held on to for about 15 (laughs) years after that. about 15 years after that, I remember I was walking in my parents' home in Toiti. And I just like habitually, I get in there and I grab the post for them and I grab the post and I saw this letter from the university and the scholarship provider. And I open this up and I see balance paid every month. And it still gives me goosebumps. (laughs) And my parents had told me a picture that I was using as a testimony, but it wasn't true. They had actually agreed to pay 150 rand a month and pay it off over time. but it gave me the freedom to say, actually, it's cleared. Be free. And I look at this now and, and, and I say, okay, well, oh, you lied to me for 15 years, but actually what they did gave me a better revelation of the Father. That we don't stand here in this understanding of who we are to say that in Him I live, in Him I breathe, in Him I move, in Him I am. And the past and the baggage and the stuff that's holding us down just disappears. It didn't just disappear, it was paid for. It was paid for by God sending His Son Jesus to give up everything. It didn't just disappear. The fact that you're a new creation, the fact that you're a child of God, that you, was because a price was paid and your debt was cleared. And it's because of that we can stand and we can seek after God who's actually really close because he wants to reveal to us who we are and what he's designed us for.